one more with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between just one more cupcake and just one more kettlebell swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shaw-Flam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And I'm Daphne Yang. I'm a certified personal trainer, certified nutrition counselor, and the creator of Hit It, New York's ultimate high-intensity interval training workout. And before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. Um, please like us on Facebook. We post uh, once a day, every weekday, and we post about whatever we're talking about on the show that week. So it's a great way to get extra resources, to just be like reminded of what we're talking about. Um, it's a good place to ask us questions if you have listener questions. Um, so like us on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash just one more podcast. So uh, find us. Like us. We like you. Uh, today... Um, we're going to get a little sciency um, because I wanted to talk about um, the connection between fitness and nutrition and the brain because, um, you know, we talk about brain food or doing like mental exercises and all those things. Um, and, and also when we talk about like what we want when we get old, um, you know, to the extent that we can, we talk about wanting to be like mentally with it. Mm -hmm. um, so a, a lot of the reason I think, or a in looking for reasons to take care of your body that don't have to do with weight loss or your appearance, one of the big ones is taking care of your brain. Um, because as much as we think of our bodies as who we are, like our brains are such a huge part of who we are um, and who we are to each other. Um, so I thought we could talk about fitness, nutrition, and the brain. This is an incredible topic, which I'm very excited for, because I have spoken before in previous episodes about how when I first discovered exercise and when I first began my workout journey, um, I was 14 years old, and what I remember feeling after my very first workout was just different. I just felt different. And I didn't know why. I just knew I felt good. I just knew I felt better. And I just knew throughout the course of my, the rest of my childhood and the rest of my teenage years and the early adult years, I, I just knew that something happened to me. I didn't know what. I do know now, which we're going to talk about. But I did not know what at the time. I just knew that I felt different after I worked out. I knew that when I took care of myself, when my self-care levels were higher, I just felt better. And at the time, I didn't really realize it, but it was because of things that were actually happening in my brain. Actually, probably more things that were happening in my brain than in my actual physical body. You know, when I started working out when I was 14, when I started to run, I, I obviously got stronger. I, of course, my, my endurance got better as I began my running journey. Um, that's all, that's all easy though. That, that's stuff that it, it, it's just so, yeah, so easy. Right? <laughs> or easy to explain, I guess. Easy yeah. to explain in the sense that when you apply a certain amount of good physical stress on the body, the body has to adapt and it get, uh, adapt and it gets stronger. But what I didn't really, really, truly study was the human brain. Oddly enough, in recent months, even before you 
even before you proposed this as an episode topic, I would say in the last eight to eight to nine months of my life, I have been completely fascinated with the human brain. I've been completely fascinated with the human brain, how it's programmed, our conscious, our subconscious, how our fight or flight response works, how our brain releases hormones, when our brains release hormones. And what is incredible is a lot of what we have believed to be true is actually false. And so there are even things I've said in like our first three episodes that are actually completely false (gasps) because they are what was said in my personal training nutrition manuals. And it was what was said, it was what was stated in college when I took nutrition my senior year. And it's what was stated, um, all over going through my training process. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the first time I went through my personal training process and when, when I went through my first certification, that was in 2008. Yeah. So it was 10 10 years years ago. ago. That was 10 years ago. So if I took that course 10 years ago, say the publication, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on this, but I, um, I mean, I'm I mean, literally not, recording not you. you, but yeah, it's fine. I know. I know. <laughs> but I, I can con- I can confirm this, you know, in my textbooks, and I can confirm this with a lot of textbooks. If I took the class in 2008 as my first one, right, and then every two years I have to take a research. But my research is in continuing education topics, right? So when I do recertifications, it's in like kettlebell training or this or non-diet weight management, like the nutrition counseling, right? Mm -hmm. Marathon training. Initially, when I went through my personal training certification, we learned that the human brain only functions on carbohydrates and glucose. And I even stated that. Yeah. I stated that in our second episode, which was carbs, our second or third episode, which was carbs. And I made a very big statement. Um, I know we should do an episode one of these days. And it's like, everything Daphne said two years ago, let's let's review it. Let's, let's review we it. Might. Because times have actually changed and new research is out. New research is out. And we now know a lot more. And it turns out the human brain does not just function on glucose and carbohydrates. In fact, functions better on things that are not glucose and carbohydrates. Well, let's start with nutrition stuff. So what nutrients do our brains need to function well? So in terms of, in terms of food. Oh wait, uh, before we get started, just to do a blanket statement, this is like an extra good one to talk to your doctor before doing things. And as Daphne was saying about how this field is really changing, neither of us is a brain scientist mm -hmm. and the field is changing all the time. So talk to an expert before you change anything in your life. Um, and uh, we may be sort of general in some areas because we don't want to get beyond the depth of our expertise. But Daphne is sitting here with like her notebook and her research. So <laughs> we're going to try to be as accurate as possible. Yeah, definitely. But we are a personal trainer and a comedian. So keep that in mind. <laughs> Ultimately, an, an actor and a normal person and a personal trainer who, uh, yeah, who, who realized that a lot of things that I've learned in the past and a lot of things that I've learned in personal training books from, you know, decades ago are actually, are actually not true. So, okay. So feeding our brains, feeding our brains. I do want to start off by saying that, um, when it comes to food in our brain, 
we we are what we eat in the sense that when we eat really powerful foods when we eat really nutrient dense foods our brains are going to function better because it's as if we are if our body's a car and we give ourselves premium fuel then the car's going to run better and if we give ourselves either low quality um food or or fuel um we are not going to have, we are not going to have the the function that we would have if we were ingesting high quality foods that have a lot of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. And these are all things that nourish the brain and prevent it from oxidative stress. Here's an example I'm going to give you of what an antioxidant is and why our brains need these things. Okay, so. I'm going to give you two examples. We're going to imagine, and this is neither comparing or contrasting. We're just putting both of these in kind of the same category, like an apple and an avocado. So you cut both in half, okay? And you let both of them sit out. You know, both the avocado and both the apple, at some point in time, they're going to turn completely brown. They're mm-hmm. just the, the top layer. But notice it's only the top layer that's turned brown. It's because it's the top layer of this cut open avocado or this apple that's been cut in half. It's... Um, touching oxygen it's oxidized when things oxidize they're basically turning into rust so when you take that brown bit of avocado normally you scrape it off or normally you um, uh, put the apple you'll like cut that part off you know if you don't just finish the whole apple you know you'll even notice an apple oxidizes so fast that if you're eating an apple whole You'll even notice that by the end of you eating the apple, there are parts of it that have turned brown already. So an antioxidant, an antioxidant prevents your cells and your, your brain. It prevents your entire body and especially your brain from creating that oxidative rust. Now imagine you have this avocado and it's your brain and you <laughs> splash the, so this is the crazy thing. Say you have this avocado. And it's my brain. And it's your brain. And say you don't you don't scrape off the brown stuff. And you Okay, say you scrape the avocado into a bowl. Take so my sp- brain is in okay. a bowl. I'm you, with you. You've pitted it. I pitted my brain and scraped it into a bowl. And then you throw in a ton of lemon juice and lime juice and stir stir it all around. Brain guacamole. All of a sudden the brown goes away. Hmm. Yeah. So I've done this experiment. I do this kind of on a daily basis now when I don't have any lemons or limes on hand. What I do is if I have half of an avocado, and yeah, if you put it in a Tupperware, it lasts a little bit longer, you know, or put or just put some saran wrap directly on the half that's left over, but you can't do that to your brain. Um, what I do is I'll do just a little bit of apple cider vinegar in my smashed avocado to give it that acidity. Because, you know, fat, salt, and acid, that's what makes that, like, umami thing where everything tastes really delicious. Immediately, if you were to just stir the avocado in itself with the brown, it would just turn brown. Like, the, the brown would just get mixed in. The second you throw in a splash of apple cider vinegar or something that is labeled an antioxidant, like apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, lime juice the brown disappears and you stir it all together and then the green of your what would be a smashed brown avocado it turns like fluorescent like vibrant vibrant green that is what an antioxidant is doing to your brain an antioxidant is actually 
deoxidizing. It, it, it is deoxidizing your brain so that there is no mental uh, rust. So there's no rust. There is no waste. Um, and it uh, when you eat these high-quality foods, they nourish your brain and they protect, protect it from oxidative stress and the waste produced when the body uses oxygen which can damage the cells. So essentially you want to use high quality fuel to power your brain and that is going to reduce, um, reduce inflammation and the oxidative stress in your brain. There are so many studies right now, tons of studies. In fact, I think that there are more studies done right now on like the negative aspects of like, or what bad foods do to your brain than the good foods. It's like, okay, we all know the good foods. They're going to, help you feel better and on a cognitive cognitive level can help with things like uh you know yeah on on a whole when you nourish your body when you take better care of yourself that can help with things like depression and anxiety just from like an overall arching and overarching um picture sugar and alcohol they those are the good ones right right, those are the ones that help it's crazy it's to the point that they are kind of both being classified in the same world when it comes to your brain health. So now there are more studies out there talking about the negative effects of um, negative effects of what sugar does to your brain. And I'm talking like really like refined sugar, low quality sugar, like the sugar you would find in processed foods, things that things that I ate so much of as a kid, um, things that come in in packages. Um, the added sugars, uh, you know, naturally occurring sugars that I'm not talking about naturally occurring sugars because things like fruit and whole grains and, um, things that are delicious. Yes, they have sugar in them, but I'm talking about the refined sugars, the added sugars, uh, the sugars that are pumped into foods to preserve them forever and then the sugars that are pumped into foods to up the flavor level and the sweetness so that they can take out the fat and so they can label them and still sell them as um, low fat, which is the worst term. That term should be banned. And it's we're getting there. Like, we're getting there. But right now, it's to the point where I feel like there's been this, like, you know, this, this war on drugs for so long. And, and now it's it's like the war on sugar, which I'm very passionate about. In fact, if I were to do like a volunteer type thing right now, I'd probably like go to schools and, and you know, redo the snacks and vending machines and stuff, you know? So yeah, sugar is really negative on the brain in the sense that sugar is is considered low octane fuel. So sugar is considered a negative type of fuel. But our brains, brain. I mean, our brains do need carbohydrates though, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, carbohydrates that come from, and carbohydrates come from, like broccoli is carb, everything pretty much has, like nuts even contain carbohydrates. Even if we were to completely eliminate refined sugars from our diets, and when I say diets, um, and I talk about this a lot in multiple episodes, when I say the term diets, I don't mean you are on a diet. I just mean what you're eating, what you're currently eating. Um, but, uh, our brains, our brains can use carbohydrates and 
carbohydrates we can get pretty much from anything. We can get carbohydrates from nuts. We can get carbohydrates from all vegetables. We can get carbohydrates from fruit. We can get carbohydrates from whole grains. So it's when, um, when these, uh, when people are consuming too many refined sugars, there are links and studies that show that they have impaired brain function and worsening symptoms of mood disorders like depression. So the inflammation is going up in your brain. And inflammation in the brain is a really is a really bad thing. Yeah, it sounds yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we don't want inflammation in the brain at all. So what that means is when it comes to fueling your brain, uh, we have to just think of food as fuel. And when we feed our brains, we have to think of it as, you know, minerals, vitamins, and antioxidants. And that actually goes and lubricates the brain. And it's the processed foods that are actually very inflammatory for the brain and the processed foods that actually create addiction, create bad habits. And, and I'll talk more about the addiction in a little bit when I start to talk about like serotonin and dopamine. Um, but essentially having a diet that's really high in refined sugars is causing stress on your brain and leads to a little bit more, uh, first of all, it gets your brain addicted to those types of foods. And then also there are higher levels of depression and I, for one, know exactly how I feel the morning after, like, a sugar and alcohol night out. It's, like, it's so real. It affects you on such a deeper level than just thinking, cogn- just thinking consciously, oh, you know, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how to avoid food guilt, right? So when one does have a night of, you know, delicious desserts and drinks... Which we should have because we are, you know, humans who live on this earth. And I find, uh, you know, I find alcohol and desserts to be some of life's greatest joys. I've started to notice in myself, and I actually don't know if it's because of some of the the changes I've made in the last eight months. Or if it's because I, I might actually, it might actually be honestly because I am getting a little bit older. I'm a little bit more sensitive to those things. But um, feeling on a cellular and a um, cognitive level the next day after consuming, after over consuming a little too much sugar and alcohol, um, like legitimate depression, legitimate depression and knowing like, okay, it's not me. This is not a personality thing. My brain is trying to deal with this influx of, um, with this influx of essentially toxins right now. And it's trying to process them. And that's affecting a lot of, a lot of stuff hormonally. So we know we want to be getting the same stuff we're always talking about, like Mm -hmm. foods that are high in nutrients and minerals and um, vitamins and all that stuff. Um, Another thing that we do to our bodies is that we, um, many of us have gone through periods where we're depriving ourselves of food Mm -hmm. or of certain kinds of foods um, and things like that. Do you know anything about what happens to our brains when we're essentially like starving ourselves in some way? Yeah. So interestingly enough, the human brain, if, if we are, if we are actually starving, the human brain, the human, the body's destined for a survival. The human body is going to 
to keep us alive as long as possible. If we are starving ourselves, if we are not actually eating, the brain, the brain figures it out. The brain figures it out, and this is getting into the area of um, the brain functions on something called ketones. This I could probably do an entire episode on, but um, in summary, what happens is when the brain, uh, when the body is not pumping, so we had this notion that the brain can only function on carbohydrates. Um, So that's not entirely true. So ketone bodies are produced when the body kind of finishes its carbohydrate stores and insulin production shuts down because you no longer have as much food in your system. Um, And then your brain starts to function off of essentially your fat, which is, and your body starts to function off of its own fat, which is actually not a bad thing. And the body actually doesn't go into starvation mode and it uses these ketones and the brain actually functions very optimally when it flips into using ketone bodies instead of glucose for energy. But that's a completely different (laughs) episode. So in terms of people who do follow kind of a ketogenic diet, um, um, and I'll be totally honest, like that's uh, in terms of a ketogenic diet, it's just a higher fat diet which is kind of how I've been eating for a long time without realizing it anyways. It's, it's basically eating like a ton of avocados and salmon and, and, and um, the brain actually functions completely fine. In fact, there are all these studies that show the brain actually functions uh, e- even better when it flips into using some ketone bodies for energy versus the carbohydrates and the glucose. So when the brain is actually deprived of nu- nutrition, it actually function. It actually just pulls ketone bodies, and that's how it stays alive. So, but the brain. There is a point at which that is bad, right? I yes, mean, if yes, I am definitely. if I am dieting yeah. in an unhealthy way, right, right. That's so the, bad for my the, brain. The worst right? thing to do is to do a low calorie diet. Right. You want to go like high fat, high calories. You don't want to ever shut down your. Uh, you don't want the human body to just always be feeling like it's in this like little state of you know it's like just not getting enough not getting enough not getting enough you do want the body to feel like it gets enough however that being said uh, you know giving the body a break from digestion every once in a while is a very positive thing the beauty of the human brain is it is primed for survival and it will always use something in your body it'll go glucose first and then ketone bodies and then protein which is a process called gluconeogenesis, um, which is actually very rare that we get into that realm. Um, but the cool thing is the brain will always prevail. <laughs> but it also means that if you're not feeding your brain enough calories, um, like it's going to find them somewhere. Yeah. And um, that find can be... ketone bodies. And, and that can be um, dangerous when you're talking about people who are severely underweight because of disordered eating and things like that. Definitely. Um, that, like, your brain wants to find ways to hold on to what it needs because it wants to stay alive. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so one thing I remember from being a kid is that before um, tests or presentations – um, my mom was always really focused on what I ate for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering if you have suggestions on what we should eat before important things like tests, if we're in school or presentations, if we're yeah. <laughs> Guomups, 
Um, <laughs> what do we want to eat before yeah. important stuff like so that? So these are the things that I eat when I... Uh, so when I think about myself personally and when I have big things coming up that require to me like require me to be super, super sharp. So I'm kind of giving you guys like a little bit of intel on like what I do before I teach a class or like before I host like a networking event and I have to... Or if I have to do some type of public speaking or... Um, if I have like a ton of memorization coming up, here's what I personally eat. Um, okay. So I have coffee. <laughs> I have a ton of coffee. Um, no, not a ton, but I do bulletproof coffee. So I actually do a bulletproof coffee where I mix, I blend my coffee with a little bit of ghee and which is clarified, which butter. is clarified butter. Um, because I've learned in all of the hacking I've done with my body in the last eight months that I can actually tolerate dairy when it's like dairy solids. So I'll do some ghee and then the most important things are some coconut oil. And then I use a little bit of, um, it's a product called brain octane oil. And, um, so I do all of that and that gives my body just a nice dose of healthy fats right away. Healthy fats are good for your brain. Fat is your friend, fat is your friend, fat is your friend. Um, it flips your brain into kind of a high-functioning place without you being jittery right away. So that's number one. And then all of the foods that I eat from that point on, I load up on, I eat tons of avocado, eggs, almonds, and I crush macadamia nuts. I cr like macadamia nuts are the most, it's, it's nature superfood. I eat a ton of coconut, coconut in every form, coconut milk straight from the can, um, chia seeds, uh, flax seeds. And I essentially load up on what people eat in the Mediterranean. It's, it's a very Mediterranean, uh, diet in the sense that these are just the most nutrient dense foods that are full of tons of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and they make me feel just like so sharp, just so unbelievably sharp. So th those are the things that I, I go for. I always go for kind of like a, a high fat coffee and then I go for the, the high fat, uh, like, like, like the eggs and the avocado and the salmon. So all the things that have those good um, omega-3 fatty acids that help with our bodies in the sense that they give our bodies what they need and our joints what they need, but it just goes right up to the brain. And then all day I'm like, bing, bing, bing. And I'm like <laughs> seeing like stars because I'm so sharp. There's also a lot of protein involved in the things that you mentioned, mm -hmm. which I think is also important, especially if you have like a big test. Like I remember sitting for the SATs, it was like hours long. Mm -hmm. And like, you don't, if you're hungry halfway through, it's distracting. Yeah, definitely. Because um, the ghrelin is just like, the hunger hormone's just going. Right. Yeah. So having those healthy fats and also enough protein that you're going to like feel full for longer mm -hmm. um, is a good strategy. Yeah. I think. Eat them eggs. Awesome. Well, we've talked a little bit about nutrition in the brain. Let's talk about fitness in the brain. Yeah. So what does exercise do for our brains? Exercise is more for our brains than it does for our bodies. This is from John Rady, who wrote the book Spark. It's an incredible book. It's about the power that exercise has on the brain. That's literally what the book is about. 
Um, I know for me personally, exercise changed my life, not in the sense that, like, it didn't change my body, really. Like, my body's pretty much looked the same-ish for the past, I don't know, you know 30, 33, whatever years. I mean, you were smaller um, when you were a child, but smaller. sure. It was definitely smaller <laughs> as a child. Um, but I know now in my adult life, and especially with everything I've learned the last eight to nine months as I've kind of very passionately gone down this, this, um, journey to like really discover like why I am the way I am and why I'm programmed the way I am and, um, why my brain functions the way it does and why I think the way I do and realizing that, Figuring out when I was young that somehow exercise just made me feel great. And then knowing in my, as I got a little bit older, okay, yeah, totally exercise. It just makes you happy. It releases, you know, endorphins, 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 endorphins. And I just got really interested in what exactly is happening to the brain when you exercise. And the truth is that more is happening to your brain than your actual physical, physical body. So... Starting from the beginning, uh, when it comes to the human brain, the human brain is ultimately the command center for something called your nervous system. And this is going back to like 12 year old biology, which are seventh grade bio, which I needed to like brush up on as well. <laughs> I'm sure so, I do also. Oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, getting ready for this episode. I was like, oh, there's so much like, uh, or even reading things. I was like, oh, I remember learning that in Mrs. Williams, um, you know, seventh grade bio class and um, I wish I paid more attention. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Lewer. <laughs> I know, right? So, so thank you, bio teachers, for all of that. Um, endorphins. What is an endorphin? Well, first of all, the human brain is the most important organ in our entire body. I mean, that seems it's, judgmental, but it's fine. I know, right? <laughs> and, you know, there are a lot of things that we do know on a general level. Um, however, some things are very mythical, like this whole, like, right brain, left brain. Like, uh, apparently, if you are left-handed, you're more creative, or if you're right-handed, you're less creative. It's, no, that it's, sounds it's, not true. Right. It's to- completely bogus. So the whole, like, right brain, left brain situation... Um, the, the brain is this command center for the entire body, uh, for the entire human nervous system. It receives information. It perceives information. And I think something very important to know is that the human brain is, okay, there's a term. It's called neuroplasticity. And all it means is that the brain is ever evolving. The brain can change. New brain cells can grow. That's something really important to know is that new brain cells can grow um, and that the human brain can be adaptable and it can adjust. One prime example of this is um, the example of a koala. The koala actually used to have a really big brain, but then evolution happened and the koala just, its body figured out all I'm doing is sitting in a tree eating eucalyptus leaves. <laughs> so as a result, the brain got super small. It was the opposite for humans. Our humans, our human brains got bigger. They got bigger and bigger and bigger as we evolved. And so the human brain is this thing that is actually very easily affected by things like exercise and food. 
because it can change and we can create new brain cells and we can create more neurons. Um, so the big thing I do want to talk about is this thing called like, a, it, it's a neurotransmitter. So what, what is a neurotransmitter? Um, before I get into endorphins and all of the other neurotransmitters I'm going to talk about. So uh, neurotransmitters, we have a few. We have dopamine, we have norepinephrine, and then we have serotonin. And I feel like these terms... Gee, I wonder why we talk about <laughs> dopamine and serotonin more than neuropinephrine. I know, and it's a hard word to say. It's, um, so essentially, endorphins are just groups of hormones that are secreted within the brain and the nervous system. And they just have a number of essentially physiological functions. For the most part, endorphins are a good thing. Uh, for the most part, um, uh, for the most part, endorphins are a fantastic thing. I we always, talk about them as the thing that like makes us feel definitely, good. Definitely, definitely. And for the most part, endorphins are released um, not just with exercise, but endorphins are released in the brain oftentimes with um, uh, things that you can experience endorphins when you fall in love. You can experience endorphins when you. Um, eat a wonderful dark piece of chocolate. You can experience endorphins when you um, uh, just are experiencing something that hits like a, a, a very positive and pleasurable part of your brain. So the brain and hormones, neurotransmitters, there's endorphins are a hormone. Neurotransmitters are these three things that I'm talking about. Neurons are things that fire in your brain and they send messages to each other. Here's what's actually happening to your brain when you exercise. On a very basic level, we think, okay, yeah, well, the brain's getting circulation. Yes, yes, this, this is true. Um, physical exercise helps your brain and your whole body by delivering oxygen um, to your brain and carrying away waste products, but it does that with your entire body, right? So um, exercise really uh, it increases circulation to the brain, but as it does the entire body. The thing with exercise is it also stimulates these neurons and these synapses, and it makes it so that uh, people who are active have more receptors in their brain than people who are inactive. So just from, just from a... A very general broad speaking term people who are active are just going to be a little bit sharper than people who are inactive it's like they have more people to pick up the phone exactly. when the lines are full the neurotransmitters are firing so these neurotransmitters are firing and that's the dopamine the so serotonin and then mm -hmm. the neuropinephrine yes so dopamine it is your brain's reward center in order for us humans to do anything in life, we as a biological creature are programmed to do things where we feel like our dopamine gets hit. We will not do anything if our dopamine is not hit. Um, caveman did not do anything if its dopamine was not hit. There has to be a, re a pleasure center. There has to be a reward center. It's almost like if we do this, we get a trophy. Okay, So if we eat um, something delicious, it hits our dopamine. 
Um, if we, um, even like sex, it's like there's, you know, dopamine. If we receive an A plus on our, um, uh, on our, it's almost like it's, this is the incentive part of the brain. Mm-hmm. There was actually kind of a crazy study done. Well, there are two studies that I know about. There was one where they, uh, this one was done with mice and the mice were essentially fed so much that they were addicted to sugar and food. And then they were able to shut off the dopamine receptors in the mice's brain. And because the dopamine was gone in the brain and that receptor was shut off, there was no incentive for the mice to eat because it didn't hit the pleasure receptor in their brain. So the mice just died. Oh, no. They just died because they just didn't eat because there was no nothing to stimulate the reward Aww. center. So that's why we eat. That's why when we eat, that's why food is so pleasurable. It's that's to keep why food, us eating food. It is to keep us alive, which we've talked about before. Because mm-hmm. I love talking about us essentially being like the primal caveman, cavewoman um, podcast. Um, now, another study was done. And this one was a, um, a little bit more t- tragic. Um, people were also using... Uh, the studies were done on, on humans to lower the reward center to prevent people from overeating. And the trial went very badly and a lot of people commit suicide. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, it was really bad. And this is something that John Rady talks about in his book, Spark. So the thing with dopamine is things hit it. Like drugs hit dopamine, pleasure center goes off. Mm -hmm. Sugar hits dopamine, pleasure, reward. um, Like we feel super good. Um, the thing with dopamine equals motivation too. dopamine equals motivation. Dopamine motivates us to, right. We want that next hit. Yeah. We want that next hit. We want that next hit of feeling good when we uh, complete a task. We want to feel good at the end of a work day, but by completing the end of the work day, we want to hug our children. We want to hug our significant others. We want to, um, eat delicious foods. We want to see friends who make us feel good. That's all dopamine. We want to be with our families. That's all dopamine. The thing with exercise is exercise boosts dopamine. So the more dopamine you have, the stronger your, the stronger and more in tune with your pleasure receptors you are going to be. Another thing is that exercise actually boosts, it, it hits dopamine. So for me, I think the reason why people think I'm sometimes so psychotic with... <laughs> With exercises, because for me, I figured out at a really early age that I felt like my dopamine levels, were, my pleasure levels were actually hit when I work out. So for me, I work out because then I feel that nice dopamine hit after my workout. Mm-hmm. And so that's what keeps me motivated to keep working out. And I've even said this before, exercise for the, the, the high you're going to feel at the end. So that's um, neurotransmitter number one. I should say, too, I am fully aware that there are a lot of normal people who do not have that experience with exercise. Um, And I would say that, like, my experience of it is often, especially now that exercise is more a part of my routine, I often have that feeling of, like, dopamine rush after working out. Yeah. Um, I think... It's the kind of thing that, like, comes the more you do it. It is. And at the same time, it's also just purely a brain function. 
You know why I like talking about the brain? It's just science. There's no personality involved. Um, and I, I do want to talk about some brain waves in a second too, which has been really refreshing for me as I, cause you know, I've been focused so much on the psychology mm-hmm. and the behavioral aspect of food and body image and body weight and, and, and exercise. My passion has been the psych- psychological and emotional aspect of it for so long that when I dove into this mental aspect of it, it was almost really empowering. It was almost really empowering knowing that regardless of who one is, this will happen to the brain. It's not a matter of, it's not a matter of if or when. It, it, it's just a, it's a complete given. It is just the way every human body is designed. Now, every human body might react differently and on at different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it was actually really refreshing for me to just be like, Oh yeah. When you exercise, a chain of reactions happens and your body releases a little bit more dopamine and that overall will enhance quality of life. So that's uh, neurotransmitter number one. And I do want to talk about norepinephrine. So norepinephrine exercise also elevates these levels. This is the neurotransmitter that applies to focus and attention. So when you have higher levels of norepinephrine, you are sharper and you are more focused. And when you have low levels of norepinephrine, you are foggy and groggy. So that's the um, uh, the, the memory function. Foggy and groggy so is the title of my autobiography. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, exercise, it boosts memory and it, it boosts your ability to learn and the ability to reason. And just this improvement of like the oxygen to your brain, it makes your brain function, uh, it makes your brain take on mental challenges better. So in the sense of um, memorizing things, learning things, uh, so really the best thing to do before either taking a test or before studying or before doing work is to actually exercise. And then the last one she is... She just slips that in there. It's, just, to yeah, it's to exercise. And then also... And then serotonin is the last one. And the serotonin... So when I'm actually talking about endorphins, um, I really should actually just say serotonin. Endorphins just sound so much better. But really, it's the serotonin, you know, the more that I come to think about it. So this neurotransmitter, the serotonin, serotonin acts as the police of the brain, and it influences mood. This for me is a big one. You know, I'm very, very open about the fact that, and especially now, you know, at age 33, you know, when it comes to moods, uh, like depression's a very real thing. And it's a very, um, it can be such a very dark, dark place. So, you know, when I lightly talk about how running changed my life and, um, I, I honestly feel like exercise saved my life, to be honest with you. And I think something had happened to my brain, and I'm not sure what, but something had happened to my brain where, and it could have just been genetic, where prior to me discovering exercise, the things I had struggled with affected my serotonin levels and had them dipped so low that I was I was depressed as a child. And... Um, so the serotonin influences moods. When you have higher levels of serotonin, you are in a 
better mood. Higher levels of serotonin lead to um, improved mood, um, happier thoughts, uh, higher mental well-being, and lower levels of serotonin lead to depression, anxiety, stress, and um, uh, things that make you feel down. And something we've talked about before is that um, issues of about depression and mental health are really complicated and are something that um, ideally no one has to deal with on their own. Mm-hmm. So um, if you are feeling depressed or you know suicidal or any of those things, don't try to deal with it at, in an isolated way. Mm-hmm. Get a doctor on your side because it's super important and uh you know all these things Daphne is saying about the importance of exercise to regulating your moods and stuff is totally true and also for some people that's not going to be enough and that doesn't mean that you've failed at exercise right right. um it just means that like the the way that your brain is made like you may need a another kind of help. So we, we, I definitely don't want to give the message that like just exercise your depression away because yeah. like for some people that's effective and for some people it is not and it would be dangerous to think that way. So get a doctor on your side. If you and your doctor decide that the first thing that you want to do is try, um, you know, uh, exercise or if you want to do exercise in addition to medication or in addition to talk therapy or whatever it is, these are things that can all work in combination because something that works really well um, for one person may be only part of the equation for someone else. Definitely. And then, you know, then we can get into the territory of, you know, people using exercise to, well, this is getting into like a completely different territory, but, um, you know, compulsive exercising disorder is a real thing too, which I also Mm -hmm. had for a very long time. Yeah. When when exercise becomes addictive, like any other addiction, um, you know, uh, like Daphne always says, normal eating is flexible eating. Mm-hmm. Normal exercise is flexible exercise. Yeah, and I think that's like why I kind of went down this rabbit hole the last eight months of exploring my brain. I was just ready to like let go of a lot of stuff. And it was just really empowering for me to just really learn like how my brain was functioning and to really address like you know that okay like sometimes my serotonin levels are low and that doesn't make me a bad person and that doesn't make me you know a complete failure in life and and to also kind of address like okay you know I did I did really struggle with compulsive exercising disorder and I think it was because um you know you to avoid dealing with certain things and to always be in a headspace where I was feeling like using exercise as a way to kind of control my brain happiness. Um, but that being said, then you got to deal with like the emotional stuff that lies underneath. But it's all it's about all, balance, right? It, it really is all about balance. That it's about so, finding the place where you're getting the benefits from moving your body without um, feeling like. Uh, there's like moral judgment yeah. on how much you do or don't move Definitely. your body. And then I think it's also kind of funny. We're recording this kind of at the end of winter where, you know, and we, we recorded our seasonal affective disorder episode, you know, a few 
like at the start of all of this, at the start of this winter. And, um, and you know, I, I hacked the crap out of myself to like avoid it this year and it just, it just still happens. But honestly, exercise helps so much with the serotonin. It helps so, so, so much. I can't even describe to you how powerful it is, like how powerful it is to, um, how, how empowering it is to know that when you do move your body, that things on a chemical level will function better when you treat your body well and when mm-hmm. you don't, you know, abuse your body with exercise. But like, I, I think that's a completely separate episode. So I'm not, I don't want to give too much attention to that, but like, you know, when it comes to elevating your mood, exercise is so, so, so powerful. And knowing that when your mood is down, and instead of thinking like, oh, this is a personality thing. Right. Like they're just being like. I'm just a sad person. Being like, okay, it's mm-hmm. just my brain and it's going to be fine tomorrow. And as soon as the weather or, you know, I'm going to get out and I'm going to move around and everything is going to be totally fine. And I actually feel like that's very empowering. Knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. So understanding these, um, understanding the dopamine, the norepinephrine and the serotonin how all of that, all of those neurotransmitters get so stimulated in a positive, positive way with exercise, um, in terms of the compulsive exercising disorder stuff. Let's, let's leave that, let's save that for a completely different episode. I actually kind of don't want anyone to overthink that right now. That was a long time ago. Um, but, uh, exercise can be such a powerful tool just to essentially optimize brain function. So mental health aside, you know, if we're talking about just feeling better and more confident and feeling sharper and like you want to perform better at work or school or um, get through life a little bit more present, just by exercising a few times a week, even for 30 minutes, is going to stimulate all of that. Um, and then one more thing I do want to talk about is something called <laughs> something called BDNF. And BDNF is very, um, very powerful. So it is something called a brain-derived neurotrophic factor. This is something that I've been super into lately, and it's a protein, and it is created when you exercise, and it goes up to your brain and it acts as um, neurons in this nervous system, which is what your brain controls. And how cool is this? It's responsible for the part of your brain that involves learning and memory and higher thinking. So when you are trying to memorize lines or when you are trying to um, uh, learn something quickly, uh, this is why if you exercise before, and I picked up on this when I was younger, I would run through monologues in my head while I was running, like back in my theater days from between the ages of, you know, 12 and 26. Um, I would always work out. I'd have like the majority of the monologue memorized, but then I'd go for like a three or whatever mile run. I don't know how many miles, but I'd just go and run. And then I would rehearse the lines in my head over and over again, and then they would stick. And now I know why, which is so cool. And it's because of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, which is a protein that acts as a neurotransmitter, and it's it's basically responsible for you having super sharp memory. So, you know, there's also a really awesome, awesome NYU professor. Her name is Wendy Suzuki, and she is actually an instructor 
for this really awesome workout in this like fitness community here in New York called Intensati. So intensity, uh, but it's like a, it's this like, like movement class where you say essentially positive affirmations at the same time as doing exercises. And it's all about like female empowerment and um, super cool class doing exactly like pretty much what I have done with Hit It in the sense that, you know, she operates, this woman operates her intensati business out of just, you know, rented studio spaces throughout the city and it's has an awesome following. So Wendy Suzuki is a neurologist and she is a professor at NYU. She's a grad school professor and she's brilliant and she's from the Bay Area and she has one of the most fun and informative TED Talks I have ever seen. She fell so in love with this intensati class or intensity. Intensati is how it's performed or pronounced, sorry, that she, in addition to already being a neurologist, she decided to become an intensati instructor. So went through the whole certification process. At this time, she's still at NYU teaching. She has, oh, so she, it was actually before she became an instructor, but she had already fallen in love with the class. She proposed the idea to NYU can I teach a class called what exercise does to your brain? Or can I teach a class called what does exercise do to your brain? Cause she noticed she was just feeling awesome. She wanted to essentially use her students as subjects and her and NYU was like, uh, no, we're not going to pay another instructor extra to come in and teach the workout class. And then you teach the class class. Um, because that's just not how we run as an institution. So she was like, huh, well then how do I get all my students to do, this workout class and she was like oh my god I guess I have to become an instructor so she actually went through the whole certification process got in awesome shape and now teaches a course at NYU and it's all about movement and brain function and so during her class she actually taught a workout class to her students and then they did brain learning and then brain tracking and collected data afterwards and did like EEGs and all this stuff after every class and she said it was like the only workout or the only um class in which you know the professor and students are all together in workout clothes <laughs> and sweating together um so i think that that is so cool and ultimately all of her data led to the fact that when you exercise on a cognitive level you are able to retain more information you are able to learn things quicker and you are able to memorize things first and just your overall levels of um, brain function are incredibly elevated when you work out a few times a week. Well, I'm going to try to do a little takeaway here. So the brain is obviously super important. It's sort of the captain of our bodies mm -hmm. and the, the main part of or the control system for our nervous system. And um, what we fuel it with. Uh, is really important. So we want to make sure that we're getting um, a nutrient-rich uh, diet of all the stuff we always talk about with lots of fruits and vegetables, um, whole grains, um, lots of healthy fats, um, and all that stuff. We want to be putting high-octane fuel into our tank. Yes. Um, and uh, before we do important stuff, we want to have like a breakfast that has healthy fats and also some protein so we don't get hungry. Um, and in terms of exercise, um, exercise, you say, does more for our brains than it yeah. even does for our bodies. Yeah, that's um, what John Rady says. All right, but he's so, not here, so he's I'm going to so say that we're it's We're going to say that I say it. <laughs> um, and uh, it has to do with 
our neurotransmitters and um, our dopamine and our serotonin and our norepinephrine. And basically, the point of all of it is that exercising regularly um, makes give really does increase our brain's capacity to deal with the things that we deal with in day-to-day life, mm-hmm. including stabilizing mood and um, giving us more um, receptors for uh, getting those reward systems and uh, and focus and being sharp and all that stuff. Um, so basically, all that stuff we always say you should do, you should also do it because of your brain. <laughs> Did I miss anything so good. important? Yeah, so good. It was a great takeaway. Thanks, Daphne. Let's get some brain food. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shaw-Flam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and for help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at justonemorepod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.